So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Come and See Inspirations, being produced here in our Come and See studio here in Ada. And this, it's the fifteenth uh, of December. It's the third Sunday in Advent. My name is John Keeley. Thank you again for joining me this morning. And help me to produce the program this morning, Shane Ambrose, somewhere out there in Skyplan. Good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John. How are we keeping? Good. Thanks a lot for joining us. I would like to also welcome into our uh, Commissaries to do for the first time Bishop ben- Brendan Lee. He's going to be joining us more in part two. Good morning and welcome to Commissary Inspirations, Bishop. Thanks, John. Good to be here. Thanks a lot for joining us. Of course, the most important people we want to welcome this morning and any other morning are those of our listeners who are housebound, those who are lonely, those who are struggling in some way, especially our listeners who support us in prayer each week. We meet you around Newcastle West area in West Lermick. And thank you indeed for your for your lovely comments. As I said, Shane, um, you've got a few fans out there now in terms of Saints for the Week, so you, the, the bar is set. You'll have to continue. But anyway, thanks again, listeners, for, for staying with us each week, and most importantly, thanks for your prayers. As people might know at this stage, our, this programme is broadcast on Sacred Space at West Limit 102 Local Radio at 10am and 11pm each Sunday and is available for playback and download on commonseeinspirations.buzzsprout.com, sacredspace102.blogspot.com, all these blogspots.coms. It's available to be heard and downloaded on iTunes and Spotify. All you've got to do, really, is to search for Come and See Inspirations, and you'll get us there. Again, if you want to contact the station, we'd appreciate that, or contact our program here. Our text number is 87 That's 87 6088667, or you can email us, and that's at sacredspace102 at gmail.com. Now, with this part of the program, Shane, Saints for the Week, please, sir. <clears throat> sure, John. So, as we said at the top of the program, uh, today is the 15th of December, so it is the third Sunday in Advent, so it is Gaudate Sunday. So that, it takes its name from, I'm not sure if it's the entrance antiphon or if it's the opening prayer of the Mass, where the first word is rejoice. And now, Gaudate Sunday in Ireland, the UK, and in kind of the Anglosphere, so that's the US and Canada, our canon today is the pink candle <clears throat> so the advent wreath is generally uh, three purple candles one rose candle or pink candle and uh, a white candle <clears throat> so rose candle lit on the third Sunday of Advent kind of to indicate that we're drawing towards the end of the Advent season <clears throat> and it's slightly penitential character um, and <clears throat> excuse me and sometimes you may see it although I'm not quite sure if it actually happens in the Diocese of Limerick you may see the priest wearing what are called rose vestments uh, you'll definitely see it if you see pictures of Pope Francis uh, for Gaudate Sunday and it mirrors Latare Sunday which is this is the fifth Sunday of Lent uh, again the same idea to kind of give an indication to people that we can start kind of to anticipate the celebration that we're going to have in about two weeks time for those praying the Psalter, we're on week three. <clears throat> so in terms of Saints of the Week, John, so Monday the 16th. Now, I had to dig around actually for these guys this week. This The, uh, um, the calendar of the Saints was a bit tight on me. So the uh, 16th, 
uh, we're going to the Old Testament for our saints this week. And on the calendar, we have Saint Misael. Uh, now you say to me, who's he? He was one of the three youngsters thrown into the burning pit in the book of Daniel and that was rescued by the, by the angel of God. Uh, another person that we commemorate on the 16th is the 6th century BC prophet Haggai, uh, who's one of the Old Testament prophets in the Bible. And he was very much associated with the restoration of the temple in Jerusalem. Moving on then to the 17th. Um, this is an unusual one now, John. On the liturgical calendar, the saint that's mentioned for the 17th of December is actually Saint Lazarus of Bethany, he who was raised from the dead in the Gospels. Now, we don't actually know what happened to Lazarus after that encounter with Jesus. We know, of course, himself and his sisters were great friends of Mary. Pious tradition, and that's all we can really account for it, holds that Lazarus traveled to the south of France and was a missionary in the south of France and suffered martyrdom there under one of the persecutions. We have no idea whether that's true or not. More importantly, from a liturgical point of view, the 17th of December marks the beginning of the old antiphons in the liturgy, liturgy of preparation of, anti, of Advent. Now, people will have heard me going on about the O Antiphons before. I am a big fan of the O Antiphons, and what they are is they are a series of um, short, bite-sized uh, uh, extracts from Scripture which are used as antiphons traditionally to introduce the saying or the singing of the Magnificat, which is part of Vespers or evening prayer. And they're very much associated with the dates from the 17th to the 24th of December. And they're called the Great O's or the O Antiphons or the Solemn Antiphons. And they're generally, they've been around generally much since, since the 7th or 8th century. And in the English speaking world, I suppose, they're most familiar to people because they make up the verses of the song, the carol, uh, o come, O come, Emmanuel, although in, the, in that particular carol, they're done backwards. So they commemorate and they reflect on different uh, Old Testament representations or types of Jesus. Uh, and in terms of, they generally link in with either, uh, generally a prophecy relating to the coming of the Messiah. So we have things like uh, O Sapientia is the first one, O Holy Wisdom. Uh, then you have O Radix uh, Jesse or O Flower of Jesse's, then you've O Clavis David, which is o, the key, o key of David. The one I particularly like is O Orion or O Radiant Dawn, because that happens on the 21st of December. And for me, I love the juxtaposition between the prayer of O, o Orion, O Radiant Dawn, Splendor of Eternal Light, Son of Justice, Come shine on those who dwell in darkness. And of course, it occurs on December the 21st, which of course is the uh, winter, is it solstice or equinox? Whatever you know, the day when Newgrange is in when the, when the day when Newgrange is in in use, and I I just love the timing of that. So that so those celeb those uh, those prayers are used during this period, and for and uh, for those that may not celebrate the divine office, where you would encounter them as the Alleluia verse during the masses of the day. That's where you will come across them in a liturgical sense. I love them because they're short, a beautiful bite-sized pieces which you can be used for Lexio if you haven't time to do anything else and kind of as you're heading into the last couple of days of preparation before Christmas. Now, in terms of, now, the reason I mentioned that is 
The celebration before the 17th to the 24th is proper, so that means we don't actually have feast days as per se, but we remember the saints. So on the 18th, we say um, happy feast day to our neighbours in Killaloo Diocese, because it is the feast day of St. Flannan, who is one of the patrons of Killaloo. Flannan lived in the 7th century and was a son of a king of Thomond, and he uh, entered Malua's monastery at Killaloo and became an abbot there. So we say happy feast day to our neighbours across the water. Then on the 19th, we now the 19th, John, was an interesting one. Kind to come up with saints on the 19th was interesting because we went from the martyrs of Nicaea, who were around the second century, and all we know are their names, which is Darius, Paul, Secundus, and Zosimaeus, to the martyrs of Nic- Nicomedia, who died in 303, at the uh, under the persecutions of Diocletian, right up to the martyrs of Vietnam who died in 1839, right up to martyrs who commemorated on that day who died during the Spanish Civil War. So I just thought it was an interesting one that we see the history of the those who have died for the faith as witnesses for the faith from the very beginning right up to the 20th century and many of them are commemorated on the 19th of December. On the 20th of December, we're back to the Irish calendar and we have the feast day of St. Fox. Fakkanen, I think is how you pronounce the man's name. Fakkanen, Fakkanen, uh, is associated with Kilfenora, which of course, uh, very little is known about him or known with certainty about him, but there's a very strong tradition that's linking him with Kilfenora and records that he founded a church or a monastery there in the 6th century. And uh, he is, of course, venerated as part of the Diocese of Kilfenora. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Bishop Brendan, Kilfenora's bishop is actually Pope Francis because it's hasn't got a resident bishop. Am I right in saying that? I think so. There's that historical yeah. issue that I think they couldn't agree to the hopes that he'd be, he'd be the bishop. Exactly, yeah. So and the apostolic administrator is the Bishop of Galway. Then finally, on Saturday, the 21st of December, we have the feast day of St. Peter Cancinus, Cass- Can- uh, died in 1597. He's a Dutch saint, uh, very much associated. He's a Jesuit saint. Uh, he was originally a lawyer, joined the Jesuits, and through courtesy and learning, he promoted the Catholic revival after the Council of Trent is how it's described in the order. And he's very much associated with the publication of a short catechism of just 211 questions. So that's who we have, John, in terms of liturgical odds and ends for the coming week. Thanks a lot for that, Shane. I forgot to actually mention we can also be heard via a link on the Diocesan website. Didn't you say that to me now, Shane, a few weeks ago? Yes, uh, on the Diocesan website, which got an overhaul there about eight weeks ago, we are one of the podcasts that's linked yeah, they have a number of podcast links <clears throat> up there, but we are one of them, and we say thank you very much to the diocese. Thanks a lot for that, Bishop. Okay, now uh, just two notice. Well, one notice actually. Our good friends in Glenstall have their final uh, Advent talks taking place today uh, in the library there in Glenstall. Um, starts at four thirty as usual. Uh, the title of their talk today is Joseph, Guardian of the, of the Mystery of the Word. Joseph, Guardian of the Mystery of the Word. And that's um, the talk is given by Cuthbert Brennan today from Glenstall. So that's at 4.30, um, the cup of tea afterwards. And then if you want to, you can join um, them for Sunday Vespers in the Abbey Church at 6 p.m. Just one more little thing just before we go for a piece of music. And that is a spiritual communion prayer. This spiritual communion prayer is for those uh, who cannot received Jesus at Mass this morning, are housebound, maybe used to go to Mass every day of their life, certainly every Sunday of their life, and now they can't. But this is a spiritual communion prayer that we offer them each Sunday morning. 
My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul, since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. So it's time to go for our first bit of music. The first bit of music this morning, as this still being Advent, is Prepare Ye the Way, and it's by the College Choir in Cambridge. So let's say this. Come back and join us in part two, where Shane and Bishop Brendan will be uh, chatting about what's happening in the diocese and maybe a, f- a few other topics too. So join us again in part two.
So welcome back, listeners, to Sacred Space here on West Lip. West Limerick 102 FM. My name is Shane Ambrose and I am in, joined in studio this morning by our own resident maestro, John Keeley. But of course, we welcome to the programme this morning our own particular guest, Bishop Brendan Lee. Bishop Brendan, welcome to the programme. Thanks very much, Shane. It's good to be now, here. Thanks a million. And it's good, for you to, good of you to join us on this week's programme. Now, it's actually almost becoming a tradition at this stage, dare I say it, uh, that you, you very graciously give us some of your busy time uh, and we can have a kind of a, a chat and kind of do a review of the year, I suppose, in terms of what's happened for you, what's things, how things are going in the diocese and other bits and pieces uh, to share with our listeners here in West Limerick. So I suppose, Bishop, kind of to get the ball rolling, I suppose Christmas and New Year and Advent, it's always a time where people kind of look back. So for you, for 2019, did you have any particular maybe highlights, if you had two particular highlights of 2019 of things that stood out for you? Ah, well, of course, yeah, well, highlights. I mean, there's always the highlights of particular personal moments, maybe that people I've met or, you know, especially maybe people who are moving towards a moment of death in their life. It's always a sacred moment being with them, being with their family. So I think of some of those. But in terms of highlights, um, if I look back over the year, certainly the Chrism Mass this year was particularly wonderful and people found it very moving and I think for a number of reasons we had it in St. John's Cathedral many many choirs from around the diocese joined in and the occasion itself was very much I would say a celebration of the diocese itself by the diocese and that I think is is wonderful I'm enjoying the fact that more and more people are coming to the Chrism Mass in other words people are getting to experience it because there is something special there's something special about you know you'd almost say the word magic but I don't want to use that word but there is a, a magic about it in that sense of, of I don't know, the Holy, yes, we'd have to say the Holy Spirit being very present when the whole diocese is gathered together, the priests renew their promises, the people of God renew their promise. So it's a very special moment. That was a highlight. Um, I think I think on the Christmas Mass point, I definitely think I'd agree with you because I actually know a couple of people and they make a point that they are going to the Christmas Mass. They ask, when is the Christmas Mass happening? Which, of course, it's a nice change because, of course, once upon a time, it was just, you know, the priest went in, the oils were blessed and he came out for Mass on Holy Thursday. So, as you said, it's a lovely, a lovely growing tradition. Maybe another one? Uh, well, I mean, around the same time, mind you, this year we did something very lovely, which was that... Uh, Bishop Kenneth Kieran and myself uh, with the two deans of the cathedral, Dean um, our own Father Noel Kerwin and then Dean uh, Niall Sloan, Noel Kerwin from St. John's Cathedral, Niall Sloan from St. Mary's Cathedral. We had this solemn carrying of the cross from uh, St. Mary's Church of Ireland Cathedral to St. John's Cathedral. It was very moving because number one, it was a beautiful day. It was Good Friday. But what was lovely was almost spontaneously without too much preparation, people just came and offered to take the cross maybe 30 feet and you had people clearly from Ireland but there were clearly people from abroad people non, non-nationals non in that sense wanting to take the cross carry the cross and so we processed right throughout the city stopping at significant places to do with maybe migrancy or to do with the food bank or whatever and there people could see that the crosses were was moving through the city and I think people found that a very moving occasion as well so there were certainly two highlights but as I say there are many others as well mm. and of course you had a busy year because of course you took a, the pilgrimage went to Lourdes uh, you also took a pilgrimage to Rome for the canonisation of John Henry Newman uh, yes of course that would be another highlight absolutely I mean the John Henry Newman the pilgrimage in Rome was really special 
30 of us went. We had the largest pilgrimage from Ireland. And in, in a sense, we ended up being billed slightly as the official pilgrimage in a way. But we, we, we really had a, a very, very strong experience there. Several people who came with us had lived in England before that, before they came back here to Limerick. And so they had the whole cause of John Henry Newman very deep in their hearts. So for them, both the canonisation and the day afterwards with this wonderful ceremony in John Lateran's Basilica, they were really major events, yeah. Oh, very good. Now, I suppose bringing it bringing it back, I suppose, to our own shores and to things in the diocese as we approach the end of 2019. And I suppose one of the things, or one of the things that would con- would be of uh, curiosity and maybe concern to Catholics in the diocese, of course, is our situation with priests and vocations. And the fact, of course, that we do have an aging profile of of clergy. Um, and of course, you know we're we're doing different things, uh, which will come to in terms of the pastoral units and the involvement of the laity. But I suppose just in terms of personnel, because um, at the end of the day, you need a priest to say mass. Um, how do we stand in terms of vocations to the diocese? Do we have any seminarians? And kind of how how are things going in terms of trying to encourage people or encourage men to go forward for 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 priesthood in the diocese? Well, we have one seminarian at the moment. He's studying in Italy. Um, however, it is a huge concern. You rightly, you right, you rightly say that it is a major concern for for me. Um, one step I've taken this year is I've asked the Dominican sister, Sister Mara Grace, um, who's one of the Dominican sisters in in the city. She has taken on the role of vocations promoter in the diocese and I have to give her great credit. She's taken up this task with incredible enthusiasm and zeal. So she has already been into a few schools talking about the theme of vocations together with some of the priests. Uh, She's also put up video clips on Facebook, on our diocesan website Facebook on the theme of vocation she's organising a hike in the spring for young people now she is I've said to her not just to focus on priestly vocation but vocations to the religious life consecrated life missionary Mm. life so she has that uh, in mind but nevertheless of course she is and she knows primarily as well working here for us in the diocese to promote vocations to the priesthood in the diocese Mm. of Limerick so really we, we have to pray and hope that her good work will bear fruit. But of course, it couldn't possibly be just her work. Every single one of us have to be missionaries. A few years ago in the diocese, we got together and we decided we would um, propose prayers of the faithful for ev- that could be used in every parish every Sunday. And um, Father Leslie McNamara worked on them. And each Sunday throughout the diocese, one of those prayers is on the theme of vocation because we do feel we need to kind of highlight that all the time in prayer, because at the end of the day, we have to ask for the grace of vocations. Then I suppose in terms of hoping that people might encourage those young men or who who might be thinking of priesthood, because perhaps that's something that has been hit in recent years. Understandably, there's been scandals, there's been a certain distrust, there's been a certain preoccupation, I suppose, with the issues that are happening in the church. So some parents might just be a bit reluctant to encourage their young son to go think of the vocation to priesthood. But I would hope that we could pray that people will feel that they can encourage their son if that's what they want to do. Mm. Um, I suppose being practical about it, Bishop Brendan, a question I'd have to put to you is that some of our neighbouring dioceses have gone down the route of 
uh, inviting assistance from dioceses overseas uh, to send men to help out and to help man um, help man parishes. Now we've discussed it with you previously on the program, and at the time, and you have you have said that your view is it's not fair. I suppose. Sorry, I won't say what your view is, but you haven't been in favour of, I suppose, bringing in clergy like that from outside. But I suppose it is a question that has come up, that is raised, say, to us, myself and John, from time to time, you know, by people that ask us, you know, why is it that we don't do that? And I suppose if, you know, for people listening this morning, what would your response be? Well, okay. I mean, we have a few priests from abroad. I'm not saying there's absolutely no way. Mm. We have some. We have priests, for instance, from India who were, <clears throat> one of them is here working with the Saro, what they call the Saro Malabar community. and But his community, his diocese, have also given us another priest who can be working with us here and is actually working in the parish of Abbey Field. We have a priest from Ghana who has come and he's helping out in Adair. And then, of course, we have Polish priests who are helping. One of them just recently become the co-parish priest in Our Lady Queen of Peace parish in the city. So we have a few. My reluctance is to say, I suppose, it comes from the fact that I, I don't think that it's the ultimate solution mm. and that we really could be just trying to put a, a bandage on a wound. But really, we've got to face the wound and we've got to face the fact that as a church, we're no longer, as it were, fruitful. We're no longer producing vocation. So there's something amiss. Mm. And it maybe means that we have to be recognize that, pray more, be more mm. pleading to God, because if we don't feel the need of it, we won't start really pleading to God. So my mm. fear would be a bit, too, that... Uh, just bringing priests in from abroad isn't really the solution. Then there is the other issue that at the end of the day, it's fine to say it sounds like a good idea bring priests in from abroad. But to be fair to those priests, they're they're coming from abroad. They have different cultures, different backgrounds. It's, it's a huge enterprise for them, number one, to enter into our world. But also, the other way around, some Irish people actually find it difficult then to get used to priests who are from abroad. Those of us who have lived abroad know, you know, we've been foreigners in another country, so we know the effort that's involved mm-hmm. in trying to get ourselves uh, integrated into a country. But it's equally true, it depends on the people who are welcoming you. And while there's a lot of goodwill and would be goodwill, I know at the same time from personal experience, from some comments people have made to, to me, that they can sometimes find it difficult maybe to um, interact with a priest from mm-hmm. abroad. So I think the issue has many layers to it. And from your own perspective, um, what 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 kind of view are we taking as a diocese in terms of considering whether or not we're going to look at introducing perhaps the permanent diaconate? Yeah, well, I'm open to that. At the synod, which we had uh, two or three years ago, we voted that that should be explored. We What we've done now this year is we've launched this uh, proposal of a certificate in pastoral theology and the idea is that would be primarily for lay people who might be more committed in their parishes in a particularly kind of uh, public way in terms of the church commissioned as it were as in some way uh, having a ministry in in the local church I think part of that mix would have to be the issue of permanent diaconate and um, you know I have raised that here and there with the priests with the clergy and I think there's an openness to it but we haven't got as far as actually launching that Mm. Well, that's fair enough. At least we know it's been looked at. Now, 
part of, I suppose, the renewal that we're doing in the diocese, which is flowing on, of course, from Synod 2016, is exploring new ways of being parish, new ways of being diocesan family. And, of course, the, the primary example of this, I suppose, is the establishment that was done of the pastoral units. So I suppose from your perspective, or kind of are we are we a year or two years in at this stage, um, what is your perspective as bishop on how the pastoral units are going and maybe learnings we've had along the way with how they've been they've been implemented and rolled out well we're one year in so i suppose yeah. i do have the long view on this one mm-hmm. it's we're one year in and uh, the fact that they're established <laughs> is already for me uh, a consolation i mm. recognize however that for all of us it's going to take time because pastoral units are new. We're talking about parishes cooperating together and not just simply cooperating, but actually actively seeing themselves as a unit, one unit, planning and thinking together about the mission in their area. And I do really believe the more we can come together, working together with synergy of, you know, focus on particular issues like youth ministry, funeral ministry, whatever it is, the more the critical mass will be available to actually uh, help us now. How's it going? I think it's going in different. It's going in different ways. I mean, some units I think have really embraced it, got into it very well. Others, and there may be factors, less so. And I know that. But at the same time, we've had good experiences. Uh, for instance, I went to one pastoral unit recently, and they brought together in the pastoral unit the teachers, the clergy, and parents of children who were to be confirmed to discuss the whole issue of confirmation. Mm. Now, what I enjoyed about that was there was a reasonable number of people there. I don't know if a parish on its own would have managed to get that kind of number of people. But the fact that we did it together, there was an engagement, there was a critical mass, there was energy in the room. That's Mm. the kind of thing that I think a pastoral unit will bring us. But of course, I recognise too, the pastoral units, there's no one fits, size fits all. You know, it'll it'll be different in different in different Mm. units. I suppose one thing I would say to you, Bishop, is that um, there is, I suppose, the fact that there's different speeds of implementation, I suppose, concerns people, because there's definitely a perception that certain pastoral units are very much active and very engaged. And then there's other pastoral units and it's like, you know, for people that are interested and want to get involved and and are trying to be positive about it, the pace of implementation and, if you like, the pace of adaptation is very, very, very slow. What would you say to people that are in that predicament and kind of going at this stage almost, almost at the stage of washing their hands of the whole thing? Ah, well, I, I appreciate that, that there can be people there with that exasperation. Look, I think we all have to try ourselves as best we can with patience, with endurance. I, of course, I would say to people, it doesn't stop them having initiatives themselves. I know um, Bishop Murray every now and again says to me, you know, he remembers a group coming and wondering, could they have permission to set up a bereavement group? And as he said, well, you don't have to have permission. I mean, to set up a bereavement group is something you can do, you know. But in other words, the baptised laity have their own vocation in life. And of course, I know what you're saying is that obviously the structural dimension of the pastoral unit is what people want to see working. I think they have to let their clergy know if that's what they feel they really want it to work, that they should let that be known, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, to, um, you mentioned their confirmation and the coming together in a pastoral, by pastoral unit. So that leads me on to uh, a question I wanted to ask you. And it was something that came up 
kind of since we started planning our our meeting with you in our discussion. And that, of course, is the announcement by Archbishop Dermot Martin of the shift in focus in the Dublin Archdiocese for the preparation for sacramental preparation and trying to refocus it and I suppose slightly away, ever so slightly from the schools and back into parishes. And I suppose I would, I suppose the question is kind of what's your take on it? Uh, could you see it happening for Limerick? What would be the challenges? What would be the advantages um, and uh, of that kind of proposal? Uh, which is, of course, bringing us very much in line uh, with uh, quite a lot of the wider Catholic world, of course. Yes, well, it's true. At the Bishop's Conference level, the Council of Catechetics, which I'm involved in, we produced a document three, about three years ago now already about like preparing for these First Holy Communion, preparing for confirmation. And the big thing we said in that document was that famously the famous expression the three the three islands as it were must come together that is school family parish parish family school whatever that must come together more because there has been a certain uh, isolation of those three elements so i think i would agree that that is a direction we need to move in archbishop dermot has uh, decided in dublin as he says himself it'll be a very gradual process it won't be abrupt I would say in the long term, we'd all be looking for a greater in degree of, I suppose, role, the role of the parish itself, the parish community itself. But I think the parish community itself is something we have to understand a bit more. What, what would that look like in terms of involvement in the preparation for the sacraments? Because obviously it couldn't just be the priests themselves. Absolutely, there's no way they'd be overwhelmed if you have so many children every year making their first communion, making confirmation. So we're going to have to gradually all of us get together and see how do we as a parish community help and accompany children towards these sacraments. That's why in the diocese we have launched this idea of a certificate in pastoral theology in order to kind of prepare people who would have then skills which they in turn can share with a view to, as it were, stimulating this process in parishes where they'd be ready for the kind of accompaniment of children that's going to be needed. That doesn't mean, of course, as as, um, Archbishop Dermot said, in the school itself, they'll still be doing the programme. They'll be doing the programme, which we now call the Grow and Love programme in the primary schools. That'll still be going on. But the actual technicalities of the preparations directly in the parish, hopefully more and more the parishes will be involved in that. Could I put it to you that perhaps this you know this kind of discussion this bit of this dialogue that we're having around this form of this the form of how sacramental preparation is done i suppose in one sense it's going to challenge a kind of a wider societal view of sacramental preparation and the role particularly of first communion and confirmation which are almost seen like coming of age ceremonies i suppose let me put it to you another way you you probably have experience parish you know priests will have experience they'll see a family for first holy communion and maybe they may not see that family again until they come back for confirmation and i suppose for some people that's kind of going well why why should you know why why where's the benefit for for a parish community in that regard um in terms of you know they're not that that's it's 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 not a family if are you say it's not um it's not something, obviously, which is very active for them, and they're just doing it because, you know, you do it when you're in school. There's, there's an element of that to it. I suppose, kind of, what would you say to people that would say, you know, drop, drop, drop the drawbridges and let's just focus on those that, are, that, are, that are want to be involved? 
Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, of course, I appreciate the issue. We do have to make sure that for those who really want to be involved, we're providing them with the nourishment and uh, formation that they really want. And I, I know there are some parents who would say they really would want more than what they're currently getting. That's true. We'll always have to watch that. Nevertheless, we've also to watch the opposite extreme that we end up then actually excluding people unless they really are reaching a high bar. That we also have to watch because, look, we all have... A, in our wider extended families who wouldn't fit into the category very quickly and we wouldn't want to be excluding them. So it's a complicated topic to talk about Mm. because we're, in Ireland especially, at different levels of our journey and I think different people are at different levels of that journey and I think if you, you know, they mightn't be going to Mass they mightn't be practising but if you were to say to them well you're not a Catholic they'd, they'd take offence so of course I'm a Catholic I say prayers yeah. I go to church occasionally I go to funerals mm. I pray the, the Hail Mary every day so we have to kind of go delicately and then also there is also this factor because sometimes I've heard this that people can sometimes, and I understand it in a way, they're regular mass scores and they object to the fact that maybe a su- one Sunday every month there's this special mass for children maybe who are making their first communion. It seems to be a bit chaotic in the church and say, oh God, they're interfering with us. But really, we've all also there to watch that we're missionaries. Uh, as a church people, we're missionaries and we have to make sure the mission is alive. And that can also mean mission to people who aren't normal church goers. Mm. Now, you mentioned there about, I suppose, reaching out. Um, and one of the things that you, 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 you spoke about during the year, and I think it was at the, the mass for the, the centenary of the arrival of the Salesians in Limerick, and you spoke about um, um, racism and the, the fact that we have a growing uh, undercurrent, I think, in this, current, in this country where we've had a lot of issues about the, 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 the way we deal and we welcome and we open up to those that are not, uh, would, would be newcomers to the country. <clears throat> so I suppose as bishop, and I, I, I would say to you, do you think um, the bishops need to be a bit more vocal about this in terms of providing a bit of leadership uh, to people and challenge, and rightly challenging us that as a country that's open and welcoming, we need to kind of, you know, I suppose, cop ourselves on a small bit. Yeah, well, I mean, our last bishop's conference was just last week. Uh, if you notice the uh, press statement after that, mm. the very, very first item I think on it was to do with the whole issue of migrants here and the whole issues around migrants, the direct provisions, all those things. And, and in particular, what we wanted to propose, and this is something I would really like to encourage maybe even listeners, there is a thing called community sponsorship which I think is a great initiative. The government and uh, state authorities realise now that it's not enough just to say we'll, we'll, we'll take 500 or 5,000 refugees, whatever it is. They've got to welcome them. They've got to make them feel integrated. And they've realised, talking to other countries, especially countries like Canada or whatever, that one of the great sources of help uh, in doing that uh, is the church, the church communities. And so they've put together a thing called uh, community sponsorship. They will, in other words, pay for the rent, for the, they'll give the medical card, they'll do all that side of it. But they would ask a parish or a community if they would take on the commitment to accompany a particular family. What does that mean? Well, the family would be doing the, living their own life. But you'd show them where the post office is, you'd show them where the bank is, you might help them go down to the school. If somebody needs a bit of English lessons, you might arrange that there might be somebody in the area who go in, a, form, a retired teacher might go in and teach them a few hours a week or something. That, in other words, a community would get together and would support 
these migrants. That's an initiative I'd love to see happening here in our own diocese. And I intend after Christmas to have an information evening about that because it's something I'd love to promote. Finally, uh, last thing, I suppose, uh, well, last two things I'm going to ask you about for our discussion today, Bishop. You are the co-chair of the Interchurch uh, Meeting Group. So yourself and Bishop, oh, I always forget the man's name, Bishop Kiernan, uh, who is the Church of Ireland Bishop of Limerick. Uh, you're busy men on the, on the ecumenism front. Oh, yes. Well, Bishop Kiernan and myself were, as it were, officially delegated as, as missionaries a few years ago by Pope Francis and Archbishop Welby. Uh, of course, now that I'm, I'm thinking about it, a highlight of my year would have to be my meeting with Pope Francis this year in mm. September, I which was, is a separate topic. Well, it's just I haven't thought about it. I should have thought that, of course, was a major highlight for me yeah. personally. But uh, yeah, so Bishop uh, Bishop Kieran and myself, we, we we obviously we now come Christmas, we'd be in each other's cathedrals offering greetings. Um, well, we met just two weeks ago. For instance, our, Bishop Kieran had a group over from America. And uh, I, I went and met all of them. Then personally, I, in about last month, I had a hosted, I was one of the people hosting a wonderful meeting, an international meeting uh, of bishops in Belfast. And they were there for a week and we were exploring uh, in a, the theme in a, divided, in a Divided World United in Christ. And uh, there was a very wonderful occasion. We had a, an open afternoon, about 150 people there, bishops from, and church leaders from across Ireland, but then meeting with these church leaders from across the world who had come. So, yes, ecumenism, I think, is very important because it's not just a thing we do. Uh, ecumenism, I think, is a way of journeying and understanding our faith more deeply from another perspective that we is, might find a bit odd initially, but the other perspective teaches us something. Okay, last one, or John is going to shoot me for time, is, as we draw to the end, I suppose, of this programme for this year, what would be your uh, New Year's resolution, one New Year's resolution for 2020, Bishop? Well, the word closeness is what Pope Francis said to me when we met in September, that highlight indeed. He spoke about closeness, that the importance of closeness in our lives, closeness to God, closeness to the people and the diocese, closeness to brother priests. Uh, I think that word closeness would remain in me to live relationships of closeness to people. OK, we, I'm afraid we are well and truly out of time today. Uh, Bishop Brendan, thank you so much for coming on the programme. As always, it's a pleasure to have you. We'll have you back again some stage in 2020. And on behalf of myself and John and the Sacred, Sacred Space team, we wish you a happy Christmas. Thanks very much, Shane, and to you and to all the listeners. And the Bishop has very kindly agreed to stay with us for their gospel segment. So now we'll go for our second piece of music. This one is sung by the King's College, Cambridge, and it's entitled, Lo, He Comes With Clouds Descending. So join us again in part three.
So welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined in the studio here by Bishop Brendan Leahy and also Shane is on the end of the Skyline. Just got a few minutes left before the end of the programme. In that time, we're going to read and reflect on the Word of God. And before we read the Gospel, this is prayer. We always pray before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this Word reverently, attentively and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us, so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed, nor our minds wonder. But may we give ourselves entitled to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now we invite Bishop Brennan to pray the Gospel for us this morning, please. Thanks, Bishop Brennan. So the Gospel is according to Matthew. John in his prison had heard what Christ was doing and he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come or have we got to wait for someone else? Jesus answered, Go back and tell John what you hear and see. The blind see again, and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to life, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And happy is the man who does not lose faith in me. As the messengers were leaving, Jesus began to talk to the people about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swaying in the breeze? No. Then what did you go out to see? A man wearing fine clothes? Oh no, those who wear the clothes, fine clothes, are to be found in palaces. Then what did you go out for? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and much more than a prophet. He is the one of whom scripture says, Look, I am going to send my messenger before you. He will prepare your way before you. I tell you solemnly, of all the children born of women, a greater than John the Baptist has never been seen. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. As I said, we've only got about two minutes left. Maybe Bishop Brennan, maybe just one thought you might want the listeners to take away with them from this gospel today, please. Well, first of all, people were searching. That's what Jesus says. What did you go out looking for? What are you looking for? And that's a fantastic line to ask ourselves. And here Jesus is telling us, you're looking for a prophet. You're looking for the way. And then comes the final sentence. John the Baptist was fantastic. He was a prophet. He had a lot. But compared to knowing Jesus and the kingdom of heaven and having Jesus among us in our relationships with one another, that's deep down what we're looking for. And that's the way that Jesus brought us. He himself said, love one another as I have loved you. It's what we're looking for deep down. Bishop Brennan, thank you so much for that. Shane, you got a better minute, if it's possible? <laughs> um, I suppose John the Baptist has accompanied us uh, the last this week and, and he'll be accompanying us next week in terms of our preparation for Advent. And it's he is the, the messenger, he's the herald, pointing out the way to Jesus and the one that comes. And even even still from prison, he was asking, pointing the way for his disciples. 
And I think for me, that's kind of the thing I like about John. Um, he's a prophet, and prophets challenge, and they make us uncomfortable. And Jesus was basically turning around and saying, yes, you're, that's, that's the, that is his role. That is the role of the prophet to prepare the way, to challenge us, to open our eyes, to see who Jesus is. And I suppose as well, also to encourage us to see that Jesus has come, is coming, will come. Uh, and that's something for us to reflect and think about on this uh, third Sunday of Advent. Shane, thanks for that. Just a thought that I had myself. That word prison spoke to me this morning. Um, I think there's so many people that we, I know our own family of sacred space, those who listen to us each, each week are, are lonely, in prison to a certain extent. Maybe they're lonely, maybe they've got nobody to talk to, maybe they've got no, 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 nobody to bring good news to them. This Christmas, maybe we can reach out to those people who need the good news. Maybe they need some of our time. Maybe they need some of the hope that we've got. But certainly what they do need is for us to bring the wonderful news that Jesus has come to friend us all. So with that, we'll have to finish up the programme. Bishop Brendan, thank you so much and indeed for, for joining us this morning. And, and Shane, thanks a lot. Mm-hmm. And so at this stage, we might go out with a final piece of music. What else would we do? <laughs> by, the, by the Ten Tenors. And this one is entitled Veni Veni Emmanuel. So please join us again next week where, we, where we'll be joined by Father Chris O'Donnell where we go through the final week, the fourth Sunday in Advent. So until next week, from us all here, God bless you all now. Bye. Bye. Thank you.